They say that home is where the heart is. Maybe that's why so many fall in love with Big Pine Key and Florida's lower keys. With epic ocean views, unspoiled wilderness, sandy beaches, abundant wildlife, RV resorts, and Stock Island's rustic charm. Florida's lower keys don't skip a beat. For more about the lower keys and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash lower keys. Please note that today's episode explores the fascinating lives of two boys who had a shared disability. They lived in the 19th to 20th century, and therefore some of the language that was used at the time that I quote may be offensive. Thanks. You will find the town of Locarno in northern Italy, just 45 kilometers from Turin. Huddled in the Gran Paradiso Mountains, it's a beautiful location, but sometimes people don't appreciate the beauty that's right in front of them. The population of Locarno has dwindled drastically in recent years. Young people often move away from this rural location to live in bigger towns or cities, or even overseas. The Locarno death rate was about 40 each year, with only 10 new births in the same period. And so Locarno hit the national news in 2019 when the mayor offered 9,000 euros to anyone who would come to live there and start a new business. The only criteria was that they had to have a young child. And it is a child, or rather two children, who were born in this town that will be our focus for today. Two boys who would go on to live an astonishing life marked by inspiring resilience, but also shocking exploitation, will be challenged on our assumptions of what is normal or abnormal, and our response to those who are different to us. I'm Peter Laws, and you're listening to Hometown History Europe and the Torchy Twins, a remarkable story of conjoined brothers. The names of these two boys were Giovanni Baptista and Giacomo Tocci, and to meet them we must head way back to the year 1877, when they were born here in Locarno. Sources can't seem to agree on the precise day that the Tocci twins were born. You might find some articles saying it was July the 4th of 1877, but it's more likely to have been the 4th of October of that year. The father of these twins was called Giovanni Torchi. He was a 32-year-old workman, while their mother was much younger. She was 19 years old, and her name was Maria Luigia Messonrosa. They were expecting their first baby, and they would be in for a shock that day. But despite what was to come, the pregnancy that had preceded it hadn't indicated any issues whatsoever. And even as Maria gave birth on that very day, she didn't notice anything particularly unusual as the baby was delivered. That's because Maria had a wide pelvis and the baby, or it would turn out babies, were incredibly small. The first time Maria knew something unusual was happening was when the midwife screamed. And what the midwife had at first thought were twins emerging was actually two conjoined boys. They were joined from the sixth rib and down. And while they both had two arms each and full independent heads and necks, they both shared one pair of legs and also shared an abdomen and one set of genitalia. There was another limited, underdeveloped sex organ, but the genitals and the anus were used by both children. 
Later, it would also be confirmed that the babies each had their own heart, own stomach and own lungs. The Tochi boys were what is known as dicephalous twins. The classifications of conjoined twins, by the way, depend on where the bodies are joined. And so the midwife saw these two boys joined at the side, and there was little else she could do. After she had stopped screaming, she lifted the two twins for the parents to see. Giovanni, the father, took one look, and he fainted in shock. It's even said that in the weeks that followed, he had a nervous breakdown and was committed to an insane asylum during that time, though that may be legend. Maria, however, is said to have loved the boys very much, despite their condition. Now, many dicephalous twins are sadly stillborn, or at least die soon after birth. But these twins survived well. Having two complete and separate hearts made that more likely. And while it might have been a surprise to Maria and a bone-shaking shock to Giovanni, it was very soon after the birth that these parents started to wonder if the twins' condition might not be a curse after all, but a blessing, an opportunity. They decided that their firstborn sons were so unique that people would pay to see them. And so when the boys were only four weeks old, which is pretty mind-blowing, Giovanni took them to Turin. And there he would offer his sons as an exhibit for paying customers. Regardless of the ethics of it all, Giovanni's business instincts proved spot-on. The tiny little Tochi twins joined at the ribs caused something of a sensation in Turin. And after only four weeks of life, they still only weighed about eight pounds combined. And yet the people hurried to buy tickets to see this small but distinctive attraction. their popularity just blew up. By the time the twins were six months old, Signor Tocci had taken them on the road to Paris, France, where they were exhibited to excited crowds. Tocci even hired a wet nurse to breastfeed the boys to help aid their growth. Tocci then moved the boys on to Lyon in Paris that October, and people were lining up to see what was being described as the two-headed boy. According to a medical magazine at the time, the twins were developing really well. Yes, they'd been very small at birth, but they had started to make up for that, growing in strength and energy, but also in intelligence. They grew handsome blonde hair and their eyes were blue, and the twins seemed sturdy and full of life. It was clear to the family that these unique children were already the real breadwinners of the family and the Tochis started to make a considerable amount of money from the boys. The year before, they had lived on his meager salary as an average workman. Now, Signor Tochi was watching his family and able to live in luxury. So, exhibiting the Tochi twins became the main focus for the family, and Maria and Giovanni worked these little boys hard, touring all across Europe from Austria to Italy and France, to Germany, Poland, and Switzerland. They were displayed in a show pretty much every single day. Medical historian Jan Bondesen suggests a reason why the parents had such a relentless schedule early on in the boy's life. It was all based on a physician's report in Turin, 
The boys had been a month old at the time when two medical professors had examined them. Giovanni had warned them that the twins would probably not last very long. Bondison says this is why there was such a relentless schedule. The father was desperate to make as much money from the boys as possible in the limited time that they had. Despite the stunning popularity of these boys, there were at least some Europeans at the time who felt that the family were exploiting their children. At one point, the police magistrates in Paris refused to grant the family permission to exhibit the twins, saying that it was an unethical ill-treatment of two innocent children. But these sorts of responses were in the minority. Tochi and his wife pressed on to the many other places who were keen to host this extraordinary family no matter what. As time went on, both the doctors and especially the family themselves were becoming pleasantly surprised. Despite the early warnings of a short life, the boys continued to thrive and develop well. They were going strong at five and six and seven and eight. They could speak various languages and while they couldn't walk, they were still described as healthy and handsome. This last detail seems to have been a surprise for some commentators at the time who I suppose bought their ticket and turned up expecting to see a grotesque creature, but there were just two boys linked. In 1886, their ninth year, Senor Torchi was even able to secure a significant American deal. The legendary showman and businessman P.T. Barnum was set to hire the twins to work for him, earning a salary of $1,500 a year. The family was set to sail to New York for a grand and lucrative adventure, but just a few days before the trip, calamity struck. Something was wrong with the boys. Since they had been very young, some medical observers had remarked that the twins had not been developing in the same way. For example, when they were examined in Vienna at only three or four months old, it was said that the right twin, Giovanni Baptista, was intelligent and alert, while the left twin, Giacomo, was described by an English doctor as, quote, somewhat idiotic. This was not an opinion shared by others, by the way, so I'm not sure why he said that, but it illustrates a sense and a fascination in comparing the two boys together. But it was in 1886 when this more worrying difference was noticed. The children were on exhibit in Vienna again, preparing for their trip to America when they both got into an argument it was a typical childish spat and disagreement over a toy, and the boys had been known to physically punch one another during a quarrel. But this particular argument seemed to affect them in a more serious way. Giovanni Baptista became sluggish and listless after this quarrel with his brother, and then not long after Giacomo started to take ill as well. Yet there was an interesting contrast in their condition. Giacomo was ruddy-faced and feverish, but those symptoms were not matched in his twin who looked worryingly pale and lethargic. It must have been a terrifying experience for the boys because each would almost certainly have that fear that if the other died, then indeed so would they. The family were desperate for a solution, but there was little that could be done, and physicians at the time said it was impossible to separate the boys. What we do know, however, is that a well-respected pathologist called Rudolf Verkau rushed to the boys' sickbed in Vienna. 
The treatment he came up with sounds kind of random. That the boys should be washed repeatedly in hot vinegar. Yet either through this or simply the passing of time, the twins did actually start to improve and eventually they made a full recovery. Now perhaps the American job touring with P.T. Barnum had simply fallen through, or the doctors had told the Torchy family that the boys were clearly more delicate than previously thought, and certainly not ready for a transatlantic voyage. But all we do know is that they didn't go to America as planned, at least not yet, that was to come. But the boys still got back on tour, now in Germany instead. It was in 1890 when the family took the act overseas, when the twins were offered a residency for several months at Reynolds Waxwork Museum in Liverpool, England. This museum had first opened its doors in 1858 and was initially a similar attraction to the famous Madame Tussauds Waxwork in London. Yet in the decades following, it had become much more salacious and shocking, with anatomical models, a chamber of horrors, and what they would have described as perhaps a cabinet of curiosities, when really they were running what many at the time would have called a freak show. Billed as the, quote, greatest living phenomenon, the Torchy twins debuted in Liverpool on February the 17th of 1890. They were now 12 years old. A decent number of visitors lined up to see them on opening day, but interest in the boys soon seemed to wane. Jan Bonderson suggests that the reason for the low numbers wasn't the boys, but the advertising. He says the posters never made it clear that these were actual living twins, and so it's very possible that people assumed it was just another waxwork, a two-headed mannequin. Whatever the reason... Only two months later, in April, the Torchy twins were released from their contract in Liverpool, and they were replaced by performing dogs in costumes. They headed up to Glasgow in Scotland for a time, but Britain didn't seem to be a success for the twins. So eventually they headed back to Germany where they drew crowds again, this time at the Panopticon in Berlin. It's said that they would gladly answer questions from the audience, impressing the crowds by speaking in four languages. The boys were friendly and helpful and were amazingly positive about their condition and life. And thankfully, despite the very occasional punch-up, they got on with one another well. And the opportunities just kept on coming, including now a move to America. As we've heard, the original plan to tour America fell through a few years earlier. But then in 1891... The boys and their family finally crossed the Atlantic as part of an impressive deal that would earn them $1,000 a week, appearing across the country as the two-headed boy, or more often, as the blended brothers. The family eventually had seven more children, all of which were healthy. Sometimes the other Torchy children would even appear standing alongside the Torchy twins in an exhibit, like a comparison people would marvel not only at their physical appearance but also their contrasting personalities, which continually developed as they grew older and older. Giacomo, for example, liked to drink mineral water, while his brother Giovanni Baptista preferred beer. He's said to have drank a lot of it. They had different interests too. Giovanni Baptista loved to draw, while Giacomo 
showed no interest whatsoever. In fact, during shows when Giovanni would rest the pad on his knee to sketch, Giacomo would kick it off for fun. Sometimes the boys would be encouraged to accentuate these differences. For example, when they performed in New York in 1892, their billing claimed that one boy could only speak French and the other could only speak German. Of course, they could both speak both languages fluently, but for that night they pretended for a delighted if unnerved crowd. During the tour, they even captured the attention of the famous author Mark Twain. He was so inspired by them that he used them as the basis for his short story that grew into a book called Those Extraordinary Twins. Twain writes this in the opening. Originally, the story was called Those Extraordinary Twins. I meant to make it very short. I had seen a picture of a youthful Italian freak or freaks, which was or which were on exhibition in our cities. A combination consisting of two heads and forearms joined to a single body and a single pair of legs. And I thought I would write an extravagantly fantastic little story with this freak of nature for hero or heroes. To many observers, the boys appeared to enjoy their life and celebrity, and the media in particular were impressed with their enthusiasm and pleasant natures. Yet there were some who argued that things were not at all as what they appeared to be, and that the boys were, understandably, deeply troubled behind the scenes. In 1891, a man called Charles E. Davis spoke to the twins during the American tour. He spoke to them through an interpreter, and he said that the public show of happiness the boys gave was not accurate at all. He said that they told him how deeply sad they were at their situation. Yet still the tours continued, and they appeared in city upon city across America, all the way up to at least 1894, by which time the boys were turning 17. But still they were under the legal care of their parents. In 1897, however, the boys were no longer boys. They were 20-year-old men, who were now legally free to stop the tours their parents had been subjecting them to all these years. And so after two decades of relentless traveling and exhibiting, and after being heralded in articles and posters across the world as, quote, a bona fide freak, the Torchy twins decided enough was enough and they would retire. They did so and returned to Italy though not back to their birthplace, Locarno. Instead, they picked a villa in the prestigious city of Venice. Little is known of the twins after that, until 1904, when some controversy struck. Reports started to surface that the boys had been married to two separate women. Some commentators found the thought of twins having wives to be somehow vulgar and disgusting, and they felt that due to their condition, they should not be permitted to find love. That it was somehow indecent for these poor boys to have a female companion. Better for them to be alone seemed to be the opinion of the day. Yet despite the reports of their marriage, they lived on as recluses, with no real mention of them in the newspapers. There were rumours of children being born, but the records become rather murky. What we do know, however, is that they certainly never returned to their previous life of show business. Some reports say they were still alive in 1934. Another by a French writer called Martin Montessier said that the twins eventually died 
1940, which would have meant they had lived until they were 63. So we don't know for certain how their life came to an end, but their fame had spread across the world. And hearing their story, it leaves, it leaves a bitter taste. Perhaps the parents really did love the boys, but it can also look like they were seen as little more than a ticket to riches. The father in particular may have acted in cruel and shockingly selfish ways. For example, the boys were never able to walk, which may have been a result of their top-heavy physiology or because one of the twins had a club foot. Yet there's a third possibility behind that. Their legs may have been unable to support their body because they were woefully underdeveloped through staying stationary for so many days as an exhibit. For 20 years straight, because of this neglect, they could only get around by crawling, and they used all six limbs, the two legs and the forearms. Some observers described the locomotion as spider-like. But Bondesen suggests that this inability to walk may have actually been an advantage to the parents, saying that it was far easier to exploit their sons this way. In fact, some sources I found said that the Tochi parents would be deliberately hesitant to have doctors examine the boys. Why would they be that way? You can hardly say that Signor Tochi wanted to shield the kids from prying eyes when they were simultaneously touring the world displaying them to paying guests. Perhaps the parents were worried that the physicians might come up with some sort of cure or procedure to make the boys, for want of a better term, normal again. And who would pay to see two normal, average young boys? At the time they were born, the possibility of separating the Tochi twins was simply beyond the signs of the time. Yet development in this area today has been remarkable. It's thought that, had the Tochi twins been born today, they could very well have been successfully separated. We could say that the twins were born at a terrible time because of the limitations of medicine, but also it's the cultural climate in which they grew up which is very telling. From only one month old, they were used as an exhibit to make money. These days, I don't think that could possibly happen, not on a scale like this. Though, does that mean children are therefore never exploited for money today in other ways? Of course it doesn't. In fact, I've heard a similar criticism aimed at parents today who push their young children into show business or families who document every day of their lives for YouTube. Sure, some of the kids appear to enjoy this very much and with millions of views, it clearly earns the family a lot of money. But others wonder how ethical it all is. Well, I don't know. It's a new area that we're still learning about. But in contrast, there are some who would have a more positive spin on the Tochi twins' story, saying it is an example of ingenuity and empowerment. That the boys, along with their parents, had turned what could have been a curse into a blessing. That they were able to use their condition to make themselves rich, which really did happen. Remember that during their tour of the US, for example, they were getting as much as $1,000 a week? They did that for five years. That's an impressive income today, never mind back then. And it's certainly true that the words on the posters and flyers for the boys often avoided words like freak or horror show. Instead, they used positive-sounding descriptors like calling them a wonder of nature, or like in an 1891 pamphlet which advertised an appearance in Boston, America, 
It announced, Torchy, the great European marvel. Earth has never produced his equal. A living boy with one body, two heads, four arms and two legs. But notice, despite their attempt to sound positive, they describe Torchy as one person with two heads, rather than the reality that they were two separate individuals just joined. So yes, some might say that the Torchy twins owned their disability and made it into a remarkable success, and that they retired to Venice simply because they'd made enough money by the age of 20. That you could very easily see it in a different light, that these kids had been exploited from four weeks old, and that after decades of being ogled by the world, as soon as they were legally able, they retreat to Venice to live beyond the gaze of all those prying eyes. You know, it's said that the property they bought was noticeable because of its high walls and privacy. I think for most of us, the sheer notion of being joined to another person physically feels like it would be too much to bear or unlovable. And therefore, we might get a picture of the Torchy twins living in their Venice seclusion in great sadness and frustration for the rest of their life, desperate to be apart but being unable to achieve it. But it is possible that this is not what they would have wanted at all. Let me explain. I looked for some contemporary examples of Dicephalus conjoined twins, and I found the genuinely inspiring story of Carmen and Lupita Andrade. They were born in Mexico in 2002 with a very similar condition to the Torchy twins. The two girls have two arms each, but they share one pair of legs. That's one leg each, which they can control well enough to walk. They have their own hearts, lungs, and stomachs, but they also share the same digestive and reproductive system like the twins. And when they were born, just like the twins, their outlook was not good. In fact, they were given three days to live, but they're still going strong today as adults. And this is what's fascinating. And it's worth knowing in the light of the Tochi case. Doctors have urged the Andrade sisters to go through the procedure of separation, which is available today but both of them have refused. They say they would much rather live together attached than separately, and their life together is perfectly workable. I just checked their Instagram accounts. They both have separate ones, and you scroll through their pictures, and it looks like they're living their best life. Carmen has a boyfriend, for example, and all the pictures and their videos on their YouTube channel show them having fun with friends and hanging out and They'd even make ironic jokes about their condition. Lupita's Instagram says, for example, that she's sometimes a person who has personal space issues. And the comments on these posts are overwhelmingly celebratory and positive. This is important. If Carmen and Lupita had been born at the same time as the Tochi twins, they would have to face a world that would be happy to place them in the freak tent and pay money to see them for thrills a world where medical professionals might describe them in journals as a monster. That's exactly how a leading pediatrician of the time, Dr. Robert P. Harris, described the Torchies as a monster. This is worth thinking about. Do you ever hear people say that the world is getting worse and more cruel, and that if only we could get back to an age of kindness and mutual respect, that life would be better? But cases like this show that at least in my opinion, our societies have come a long way toward valuing people who are physically different than the majority. 
We still have a long way to go, of course. But seeing the way Carmen and Lupita are accepted just shows how far we have come. This is a good thing. And therefore, it could be easy for us to approach the story of the Tochi twins as nothing short of tragic. And don't get me wrong, the child exploitation element is beyond doubt awful. But I think, I think we do the boys a disservice if we picture them moping for the rest of their lives in that villa in Venice, hating their life and being desperate to be apart from one another just because we can't imagine it. That might be the case, of course. But equally, the other scenario might apply here. Maybe the fact that they retreated from society the first chance they got shows us that the ones they really wanted to be separated from was not each other, but the short-sighted, judgmental, cruel world out there, a world that was simply not mature enough yet to appreciate and value difference, and the beauty in all of us, no matter who we are or how we look. Maybe we, and how we honor others, can help push our world continually in the right direction. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to Hopetown History Europe. Goodbye. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.